looks kind of like the Blues Brothers or something, I guess, is the idea. But it, it really makes me feel like uh, this, is, this is who we are, this is what we're supposed to do. We've been talking about that. We've been talking about connecting with people and sharing the good news with them. Uh, first week was the uh, first Sunday of September, and we talked about the four lepers that were outside the city of Samaria. Remember these guys that were trapped outside the city while I was being besieged and eventually was going to be overrun, they thought? And uh, God sent them out to the camp of the army that was besieging the city. And that army had all fled. They'd left everything behind because God had caused them to hear something that wasn't really happening, that another army was coming on them. So they just all fled in terror, ran from home, ran for home. And so they left everything, and these lepers go in there, and they discover all the food and all the clothing and all the gold and silver and weapons and everything that they could ever dream of possessing, and they're gorging themselves on the food, and then suddenly they say, this is not right. There's a whole city of people starving, and they need this too. This is a day of good news, and we need to tell them what we found. Then the week after that, Ken Mead came, and uh, he spoke about relationships and how these relationships are so Im very important that we have with other people because it's by relationships that we connect. By relationships, we show credibility. And then we're able to share our faith with them once they trust us and once they realize we really do care about them. Last week, thank Christian for speaking, and he spoke about the bridge illustration and about sharing the gospel in a very simple way. And we're going to actually look at that again today because... Perhaps you didn't take any notes, and probably just a few did. And so this morning, we're going to go back through the bridge, and I want to give you a chance to really write it down, draw your own picture, put in your own words, and then take it with you today. So I'm going to ask some of the teenagers if you would just pass out some of these papers, make sure everybody gets some of these. You guys want to do that? Just go down through both sides, make sure everybody gets at least one. Okay. Might need to pass out a few more. Everybody needs one of those pieces of paper. We can't go on until you do that, so we're going to take just a moment for that. The bridge is an illustration of the gospel. It is one of the simplest ways to communicate to somebody that Jesus came and he died for them and what it means to put your faith in him. So I want you to find a pen. We tried to make sure that there were pens scattered throughout the seating today. And you should be able to find one, either get your own or find one in the seat in front of you or the row ahead of you or whatever. Make sure you have a piece of paper, you have a pen, and this is the secret weapons of sharing the gospel. <laughs> a blank sheet of paper and a pen or pencil is all you need. You could be in a restaurant and you're with your friend and you're eating and you say, let me show you something. You pull out a white napkin from the side of the table, get your pen out, and you draw this for them. And you say, I want you to see... What a powerful thing God has done for us. And so we're going to go through this kind of step by step this morning and give you the opportunity to see how you can illustrate the good news. Okay, everybody have your sheet of paper now, almost everybody? You can go out sideways with it or up and down, whichever you want to do. Probably sideways, landscape mode is probably the best thing to do. Give you a little more room. First thing you put on is very simple. You put us and you put God. That's all it is. Left side, right side. Us and God. Leave a little room above it, a little room below it, because we're going to be filling in some other things. Just put that on your sheet of paper. Thank you, guys. 
Make sure you get some for yourselves. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And the teenagers may need some pens passed up to them, okay? Us and them. This is where God wants us. He wants us together. He kind of imagines, and he pictures this, and you could kind of talk about this. He wants us together. So it could be kind of a circle around us, arrows going together, because he wants relationship with us. He designed us. He created us. He wants relationship with us. But there's a problem. So the next slide shows you there's division between us. There's actually a great chasm between us. And so you draw these lines that we're separated from God, separated by great distance, and there's no way to get beyond this barrier to get to God. And that barrier is man's problem, man's problem of sin. The verse for that is Romans 3.23. It says there that all have sinned. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So, there's a verse you can kind of commit to memory if you haven't, Romans 3.23. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we are separated from God. We will never be able to be with God until that sin is paid for. And that's a real problem, a very deep problem. So then you have this little guy, that's us, or the person you're talking to, all concerned. What am I going to do about this? How am I going to get over there? What can I do to get there? And people have tried all kinds of things. Next slide. They've tried good works. You know, I just do a bunch of good, that will outweigh the bad I did. They try to be the most moral person they can possibly be, more moral than anybody else they have. And they, so they think, by comparison, I'll get into heaven because I'm better than some of the other people I know. I'm certainly better than the criminals. I'm certainly better than the terrorists. You know, you compare yourself to other people, you feel pretty good about yourself. So they try that. They try generosity. I'll just give a bunch of money. <laughs> I'll give a bunch of time. I'll... I'll be real philanthropic, you know, and, and really help other people. Or maybe I'll buy into a certain philosophy. If I can find the right way of life, if I can find the right philosophy of life, that will get me there. But you see all of these fall short, and you can draw this arrow. Say, no matter what you try, you can do anything you want on, your, on yourself, anything you would try to do, you will fall short, and you'll still be short of God. You will never achieve that. And at the bottom of this chasm is a thing called death. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages of sin is death. Wages of sin is death. And it's horrible. Now, up at the top, the good works of morality, generosity, philosophy, none of these count. So you kind of X that out. We got that slide in there. I'm not. I don't think so. But you just kind of X those out. None of those will work. We end up at death no matter what we try. Because that's the only way you can pay for your sin. That's the wages. And so you would go to hell. It's not only physical death, but this is eternal death. This is the reality that there is a heaven and a hell, and we will end up in hell for all eternity, still separated from God. We would not be joined to God. We never could be joined to God once we were in hell. But God is not content to leave us there. God has a remedy. God has a plan. Next slide. God puts the cross in there, the cross of Christ, as the bridge to get us, in all of our sin, to God. And he cancels out death because Jesus paid the penalty. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. So that, that word but is very important there. The wages exist, but God 
did something else. He gave us Jesus, and Jesus paid the penalty for us. God built a bridge. He provided a way back through Jesus. Now, how do we receive the gift he's offering us? How do we go across the bridge? And that's what the Bible talks about. In the book of Acts especially, you see person after person that hears the message of Christ and they accept Christ. They, they, they say receive Christ. So we talk about receiving him. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, It is by grace you've been saved. It is a gift of God. It is a faith. It is not of ourselves, but gift of God. Not by our works, not by anything we could do, but because of our faith. So none of us can boast. That's what Ephesians says. It says that we need to repent. We need to turn from our sin and turn back to God. We've been going the wrong way. The only thing we can do is an about face and go back to God. And that's what repentance is. It's a repentance of heart. It's a repentance of mind. But it's also a repentance of your actions. I'm no longer going to live the way I did. And I'm willing to turn. Uh, if God gives me the power. I'm going to have a new life here. There's confession. Romans 10 says, If you confess with your heart Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Romans 10, 9. And then the last thing is, is being baptized. Acts 2.38 says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a very clear verse. People asked Peter and the apostles on that day, what should we do to be saved? And this was Peter's answer. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is how we receive. This is how we go across the bridge, which is Christ. This is how we receive what he's offering us as a free gift. And if we are willing to obey God and follow as God wants, then we receive what he's offering through Christ. We move across the bridge. God's celebrating with us. And God says, I'm going to do something for you. More even than your salvation. I'm going to, first of all, assure you of your salvation. 1 John 5, 3 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want to assure you of that. I want you to feel confident of that. I want you to walk in that confidence the rest of your life. And then God says, I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit. Well, already looked at Acts 2.38. I'm going to give you my spirit, my presence. I'm going to live with you. I'm going to be in you. I'm going to guide you. I'm going to comfort you. I'm going to strengthen you. Uh, I'm going to never leave you. And be with you. Ephesians 1 says, Having believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. That's, that's why the Holy Spirit is given to us. M multitude of reasons. And actually, this fall, we're going to study more about the Holy Spirit. This is a very, very big thing that God is promising. And then, finally, he says, I'm going to give you strength. Strength to live every day. You need this. You can't live on your own. You've already proven that. But I'm going to live through you, and I will give you strength for life. Galatians 2.20. In fact, Paul says it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. This is it. At the end of sharing these things, here are the verses that go along with some of these so you can start thinking of verses. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, Acts 3, 19, Romans 10, 9, so on, in each area. Just a few verses need to be memorized along with this so that you can share the word of God with people as you're telling this to them. 
But at the end of it comes a big question. Do you understand? Does this make sense? And another question then if they do. Not, you, you clarify. But another question, are you ready? Are you willing to give your life to Jesus Christ? Are you willing to move across the bridge of Christ by receiving and repenting and confessing and being baptized? If so, I'm ready. <laughs> I would love for you to do that because I care about you and I love you and I want you to know Jesus and I want you to have eternal life. This is a very simple illustration of the gospel that you can commit to memory very easily. You don't need some elaborate scheme. You don't have to have 50 verses memorized and feel like you've got to have the whole Bible under your belt before you can ever talk to somebody about Jesus. You just need to know some basics. You will need to take some time to learn this. And I'm going to encourage you to take this home with you and start learning it. We also have a 401 class that we're going to be offering this fall. It's, it goes through it more. It helps you practice it. We get with each other and we learn it a little bit better and we learn more about relationships and how you can introduce this to somebody and when would be maybe the appropriate time, the right time for that. So hang on to that sheet and I'll tell you at the end of the service what to do with it, okay? This morning we want to talk about being farmers. Now, farming may be a, a, an odd thing to you. You may have never done any farming, not even a little gardening. Maybe you've lived in the city all your life and never planted anything, never raised any crops of any kind, and uh, maybe you didn't even have a bucket with some tomatoes in it. I don't know. But farmers uh, are very important. We can't live without farmers, can we? We've got to have that food. And so their job is very important. And Jesus lived in an agricultural society. He lived in a culture that was all about farming. Everybody understood. Everybody knew. And probably the day he's teaching this particular parable we're going to look at, he's out in the countryside, and right there was an illustration. What he's talking about is a guy out there doing what he talks about in his parable. And we want to talk about being farmers and scattering seeds everywhere. The Apostle Paul said that we're all part of God's field. He also said that we're part of the temple and the building and and the, the church and the family and, and other ideas about the church. But he says, we are part of God's field and we have a job to do in that field. He said that God has sent us out as laborers in the vineyard. And Jesus said, we need to pray for more laborers because the problem is we don't have enough. We don't have enough people going out. It was true in Jesus' day. It's true today, isn't it? Evangelism is not my job or Christian's job. It is our job, but that's not just our job. It's the job of everybody in this congregation. We are not hired guns of this church, you know, to go out and, and take care of the outreach of this church. We are more in the, the area of equipping and training and helping and encouraging and, and showing example by, by the how we live of what it means to, to be on mission for Christ. It is everyone's job to share the love of God and the good news of Jesus. So I want to share one of Jesus' parables this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 13. If you have a Bible, just open there, because we're actually going to read a few places. Matthew chapter 13. This is a parable you may have heard. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. This is a night like a natural amphitheater. It didn't have a speaker system, but when you get on the water and you speak to a crowd, they can all hear what you say. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. 
Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. The farmer Jesus told about sowed in the field that he was given. And go over the other guy's field, he went where he was put, wherever God had placed him. But he broadcast more seeds there than he knew would likely grow. There's something I want you to really capture there. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, thrifty in throwing out his seeds. He was almost careless. Because you see where some of these seeds fell. He wanted to make sure that every place was covered where a seed might possibly grow. Although he scattered most of his seeds where the best soil was, I imagine he knew what to do there. Some of it fell on rocky places, and some of it fell among thorns. He didn't care, because some crops would grow there, and he wasn't sure where all it would happen, so he just scattered the seed. He was not stingy. He freely and faithfully scattered the seeds, and he left the results up to God. And that's what we must do. We're not in, in, in charge of results. We're in charge of scattering seeds. If we're not scattering seeds, there can't be any results. Now, the explanation of this parable was given only to his disciples in Matthew 13, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is that very hard soil, the path. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed that fell in rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble comes or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The one who received the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Now, do you understand the four types of soil? Because these are four types of people. You're in this, in this parable. I'm in this parable. Where we were before Christ, we were one type of soil. And later on, we changed. Soils are different kinds of people. First one is soil on the path. Hard and unreceptive people. People couldn't even hear the message if you gave it to them. They're not ready. They're so taken with the world or so involved in their sin, they're not even listening. There's no receptivity yet. And so, first thing you need to do is, is help them get receptive. And maybe God will do that through a crisis or through trauma in their life. Sometimes people op open up during a move or when they're in transition. And that's a perfect time then for God to get into their hearts because they're already troubled, they're already wondering, looking for answers. When they weren't open before, now they're open. But the soil on the path is unreceptive people. And when the seed goes there, the birds or Satan come and just steal it away. It, it can have no effect. There's rocky ground, a very thin layer of soil. There's a little bit of goodness here, a little bit of openness there, but not a whole lot at first. They embrace it. The seeds take root. But when trouble comes, it just disappears. If the faith that was there just disappears because they're just kind of casually interested. But not really ready to make life change. Not really ready to deal with God. And some people stay there for years, don't they? 
I kind of like what I'm hearing. I kind of go to church. I kind of listen on TV or maybe a radio somewhere or, or somewhere I'm kind of open. It's kind of enamoring to me, but not really life change. I don't want that. Then there's a third type. It's a soil that's riddled with thorns. <laughs> there's, there's thorns growing here. He scatters his seed in there and there's some good soil there. The thorns are doing really well. The weeds are growing. And he's hoping that some of the plants will come up and, and yet they grow up together and eventually some of these thorns, some of these weeds choke out the good that was there. And, and this talks about people then that have competing influences in their life. You know, they want Christ. They want to live for Christ. They even maybe, maybe decide to become a follower of Christ but they hang on to the world and the deceitfulness of, of wealth or riches and the pleasures of this world are still holding them tight and they never break that and so eventually that's what wins out in their life and they leave Christ. Then there's the good soil. They hear the word. They're open. They're receptive. They understand it. They accept it and they hold on to it and they nurture it. They deal with the things in their life that might be distracting. They get those out of the way so they can pursue Christ, and they can pursue God's plan for their life. And they produce 100 or 60 or 30 times what was sown. And it's so fun to watch somebody like that, who was lost and who didn't know Christ, who comes to embrace him in that way, and their life is totally transformed. And they begin transforming other lives because God is using them in such a powerful way. Now, if you're not a Christian here today, what soil type are you? Figure that out. If you're not a Christian, what soil type are you? Because you can change. You don't have to stay there. You don't have to be that hard soil on the path. You don't have to be that person, you know, just kind of likes hearing the message every once in a while. You can embrace change. You can embrace transformation by God. If you're the person who thinks you're a Christian, trying to be a Christian, but you're still just so taken with the world, and you're in there, then you can change from that. You can decide that you're going to leave some things behind. And if you're in good soil, stay in there. You know, God's got some really good things going to happen in your life. Now, if you're a Christian, here's a question for you. Why did God tell us to scatter seeds on every type of soil? Why did he do that? Well, it's because he cares about every type of soil. Every person, doesn't matter who they are. Grayson's not in here anymore, right? Okay, I was going to go over and grab my grandson, Grayson, and talk about how much I love him. You grandparents understand. You parents understand that you would do anything for that child, that you would provide whatever they need. You would protect them. You would guide them in the right path of life. You would step in for them. And, and take the bullet for them, or whatever you would describe that as, because you care about them so much. And that is how God looks at every one of us. Because he's our father. And because he loves us to that degree. And that's why, when he sends out the farmer, he says, just throw the seeds out there. You know, it may not look like anything's going to happen there, but put some seeds over there. It may not look like they're going to be very receptive, but scatter some seeds there too. Of course, this farmer had been sowing seeds long enough to know where to best scatter seeds. It's likely he put more seed on the good ground where he knew something would happen. He'd already prepared it, got it ready, and, and it's just wide open, ready to go, you know. But he was not so careful that he wasn't open to what God would have him do there. He knew that 
some of the opportunity, some of the things that God will do, people that we gave up on long ago. I have seen people come to Christ that I thought never would. Haven't you? I've seen people that were so casual about Christ for years, and suddenly some spark takes their life. Suddenly they say, I got it. I finally got it. I've been around here for 20 years, and now it hits me. And they, they go on fire for Christ. I've seen people that were living a Christian life, trying to do good things, but still in the world, so much in the world that you couldn't really tell for sure they following Christ or not, who suddenly pick up on what needs to change, and they drop the other stuff, and they move on to the life that they have in Christ. This weedy soil is a big problem for us, where the weeds grow up along with the good crops. And if that's in your life, then Jesus addresses that. He tells a second parable the same day, the same chapter of Matthew 13. Skip down to Matthew 13, 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them out? No, he answered, Because while you are pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. This parable is about the end of time, isn't it? It's about what we call the judgment. Things will continue as they are now for some period of time. Maybe a few days, maybe years, it may be centuries. I don't know. Only God knows. But one day, Jesus explained that he will send his angels to first take out the weeds, the evildoers who never knew him, who continue to rebel, who continue to repel him, and they will be taken out and dealt with. And then he will gather up the faithful ones whom he has saved from sin and death, and they will live for him, with him forever. By telling this parable, Jesus is saying, this is not a game. This is real life. This is serious business. This is not about someone doing a little gardening for their own pleasure. This scattering seed is critical to people's eternity. Whether they spend eternity in heaven or hell. So no, we're not talking about a couple guys from one church going out every once in a while and scattering some seed. We're talking about everybody in the kingdom scattering seed because if we don't, people will end up in hell. And if every church will do this, of scattering seed wherever we can scatter, then we will bring as many people to heaven with us as we possibly can. But there can be no results unless there are people scattering the seeds. With this parable, Jesus is emphasizing a very stark contrast between those who will be saved and those who will not. He is illustrating the stark contrast between heaven and hell, between eternal life and eternal death. In that illustration, the death at the bottom, it's eternal. You never get out of there. And we all must make a choice, a fateful choice. When the seed is scattered, everyone then needs to make a choice. But if we don't even scatter the seed, then many people won't even get to make a, chance, a choice because they won't even know that Jesus came. They'll be on their own. And on their own is not good. 
This is a world of hurt and hurting people. This is a world where people die unjustly. This is a world where people are overwhelmed and overcome by their problems. This is a world where broken people fall all over their brokenness. And they make a mess for everyone around them. Their lives are disasters. And we see that brokenness everywhere. Just turn on the news. And in about five minutes, you want to turn it off, don't you? Because they run the bad news. This is a, a world where people die without God and without hope every day. But get this. This is very important. In this kind of a world, we have been given what everyone needs. <laughs> we have been given the answer. We have been given the solution. We have been given the hope. We have been given the Savior that everyone needs. So why would we keep this good news to ourselves? I don't have an answer for that. There is no logical reason we would say, let's just hold on to Jesus until he comes. Because he has given us this hope so that we could share it with those who are lost and who have no hope. Like those four lepers at the gate of Samaria, we have discovered this is a day of good news. How can we keep it to ourselves? through our friendships, through our new relationships that we deliberately begin with people that we would not have normally met. We must build trust. We must build credibility. We must build a foundation on which we can share Jesus with someone in a meaningful way, a way that might actually lead to their salvation. And we must all know what to say when that time comes. I don't want anybody saying, you know, I think I'll call the preacher. So-and-so needs to hear by Jesus. Because you're the person in relationship with that so-and-so, that person. You, you work with them, or you live next to them, or they're in your family. And you have that relationship, and you have credibility in their lives, and you don't call in a hired gun to share the gospel with them. You share the gospel. It's a cop-out to think that, that it's my job to share the gospel with everyone you know. You have been given that job. And so when we offer the 401 class in November, maybe you need to sign up for that. Maybe you need to say, I've, I've got to do this. I've got to find out how to share my faith. And in a few weeks, you'll be ready. You'll be primed. You'll be prepared. You'll learn about uh, sharing relationships with people and developing those so that you have credibility. And you'll learn to share personal stories of faith just daily things of what God is doing in your life. and Then from that you can share about Jesus' story. We all need to be able to share the gospel in a simple and clear and concise way. We all need to be able to ask the questions. Do you get this? Do you understand what God has done for you? Are you ready? Would you like to accept what God is offering you, this free gift of salvation? Let me show you how to do that. So this morning, you filled out the illustration. I see the sheets there in front of you. You have the paper in your hand or sitting on your Bible. Do something with it. Learn it. Practice it. I want you to do this today. As you go home, tape it to your bathroom mirror. Put it right where you would normally see your face tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning, you're going to be confronted with that and say, I've got to work on that. I've got to learn this. I've got to figure out how to do this. And then start practicing it. Take out a sheet of paper and see how much of it can I remember now. Start out with us and God and then the division between us, and then the chasm that's developed, and what people try to do. Go through the whole thing as far as you can. Oh, I stopped there. I don't know what the rest of it is. Go back and figure it out. 
Because none of us is off the hook on this. None of us can say, we'll just bring in the people gifted in evangelism for this. Christian pointed that out last week. It's not about that. It's about every person getting the heart of God for those who are lost. And if you want to participate in the 401 class, you talk to me about it. We'll be signing people up and offering it to you in about a month. As we conclude the sermon, let's go back to the beginning of Jesus' parable. As he started this, this teaching, people had gathered by the lake, he'd gotten out in a boat, and he starts telling them a story. And this is the first words out of his mouth. A farmer went out to sow his seed. Huh. Nothing else could happen until that man was willing to go out and sow his seeds. Only then could he ask God to bring blessing to his seed sowing. A farmer went out. Will you go out? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love that has been shown to us Romans 5.8 says that you have demonstrated your love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. John 3.16 says that you so loved the world that you gave your only begotten Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. We believe this. We have accepted this. We have embraced Christ for ourselves. Help us, Lord, to just be as smart as those lepers were. This is a day of good news. And we've got to share it. Bless this church, Lord. This is New Hope Christian Church. We have chosen that name because we want people to have hope. And we want to give them hope. We want to give them healing. We want to give them new life. But we can't really give it to them. Only Jesus can. So in giving hope, we must give them Jesus. Bless us as a church, that we would rise up as individual members of it. And we would see those relationships around us, the people that are hurting, the people that are hopeless, the people that are lost, still destined for the bottom of that chasm, without hope, without God in the world. Help us, Lord, to care about them as much as you do and to go and scatter the seeds there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing about...